throughout the day. It's really exciting to have so many young people here tonight. Uh, you're the church of today, but you give us a lot of hope and optimism even for the future. Uh, I hope you realize how much excitement you bring into the congregation where you are. I hope you realize how valuable you are. I hope you realize how much God loves you and how much we as a church love you. It's exciting uh, that you love the Lord and that you're here even tonight uh, to study about what He said about integrity. It's good to think about a back-to-school bash. Um, back-to-school is a big time in life. And you'll have the opportunity maybe to turn a fresh start. You may think about how you closed out last year and, and you may think that, hey, uh, I just need to continue as I, w I was doing before. And that's great. Do that. You may look at it and say, you know, I was kind of getting on a bad track and maybe I need to study more. Maybe I need to run with a better crowd. Maybe I need to discipline myself more. Uh, whatever it is, I hope that as you use this time of a fresh start of a new year, that you truly will consider as we study integrity tonight of what kind of person could you be every day of the week and everywhere you go in private and in public and all that you are will you be a person of integrity we'll look at that in just a moment listen we're thankful to be here today uh, from Fried Hardman and there are a lot of people in admissions advancement here and afterwards if you'd like to visit about Fried Hardman we'd love to visit with you uh, we do have our mobile information center parked in the very back. You'll have a delicious meal served to you. And if you want to go out there and get Cokes and snacks and, and visit, those will be available and available to everyone. And uh, also, if you want to hop in the photo booth, uh, pile your friends in, and you can take you a photo home uh, to remember this great evening together. Uh, just as we're visiting you now, we'd love for you to come visit us. We have a big weekend youth rally Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the last weekend in September. And I love the theme this year as we'll be thinking about that night Jesus was arrested and we'll study about the towel, the traitor, and the table. And we hope that you'll join us. It'll be a great time together. If you're alum, we'd love for you to come back for homecoming this year. We're planning a huge homecoming already in the works and we're excited about it. Also, uh, we have a benefit dinner every first Friday of February, and this year Scott Hamilton will be our speaker. The last couple years we had, we had quarterbacks, we had Peyton Manning, and we have Tim Tebow, so we're going to go to another sport this year, and we're going to go to arguably the most famous figure skater uh, in, in the world, and uh, he's a cancer survivor, he's a, a best-selling author, and uh, he just has a really great story to tell, and not to mention, he's also a member of the Church of Christ. And so uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a good night together, and uh, we would love for you to join us. Speaking of good stories, I'd like to transition uh, by telling you a story about one of our students that, well, just graduated uh, in May. But as we do this, I want you to notice how this story comes together to, to complete a life, if you will. It tells the whole life. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is if you and I tonight are going to really study integrity, and we're going to understand what integrity is. Integrity involves a completeness, a wholeness. This year, uh, we had named Mr. and Miss FHU. Bo Cabanis won Mr. FHU. Now, the first time I saw Bo, I couldn't help uh, but, but think about the, the guys on the front of romance novels that have that long flowing hair and that sharp jawline. And, uh, and, and that's kind of the way he comes across. And, and when you get to know him, you realize that that uh, he really is a great guy through and through. But at FHU, uh, naming of Mr. FHU, uh, he wrote 
what he wanted the MC to read for the crowd to know about him. And it was really one of those powerful moments because he talked about that when he came to Fried Hardeman, he wasn't a Christian and he was in a really dark place in his life. He came to Fried Hardeman because he wanted to play baseball. He was one of our best closers we've had in years. He was amazing. And when he came though, he started running in circles of friends that were Christians. And especially one of those circles of friends was Carly. And he would begin dating Carly during his time at Fried Hardeman. And Carly was a wonderful, faithful Christian young woman. And uh, late in his time at Fried Hardeman, uh, he asked her if she would marry him. And um, then in his senior year, uh, the FHU Lions went on a tear. And I forget now what the record is, but they won something like like the, maybe like 35 of their last 38 games or something. It was just amazing. It was a magical season. And he was called to the mound over and over and over to either save or win a game. And he did it night after night. And, you know, you can imagine every little leaguer's dream is to pitch in the College World Series. And so... Um, winning tournament after tournament, finally going out to Washington, really Idaho, but on the edge of Washington State, uh, just a few weeks ago, he was able to pitch in the World Series. As a matter of fact, it came down to the final game of the World Series. And the night before, day before, he had to go to coach and say, Carly and I have been talking, and you know, I'm getting married this weekend, and if I pitch in the final game, I can't make it back on commercial airline before my wedding. And so, I'm going to have to leave before the World Series final game. And so um, we had a, an alum that has a private plane. And so I called him and said, hey, <clears throat> number one, we need to go to the World Series. But number two, we need to deliver a package. And I explained to him the situation. And he said, you tell that young man, whatever city he's getting married in on Saturday, we will have him dropped off and he will be at his wedding. So he calls Carly and he said, hey, are you fine with this? I'm pitching the World Series Friday night and I can get married Saturday. I will miss the rehearsal dinner. It's up to you. And she said, absolutely, pitch in the World Series. And, uh, and so we rode back. Now, he got to enjoy this day, but now let me back up just one week. Before this week, his dream, so far as his career, is to uh, be a physical therapist. And just before going out to the World Series, he received his acceptance letter that he, he is accepted into a PT school. If you'll notice, there's a fellow on the very end of the right, which by the way, the beauty of that picture is it's all the people that they've gone to college with that have become close friends. They walk together in their faith and in their life, and it's, it's been a powerful experience for them. But that fellow on the very end, here's our provost. He's our vice president of academics, Dr. C.J. Viers. And any of you that were here this morning, you'll see why I'm tying this in. <clears throat> Every year, he and his wife adopt a couple of baseball players. And five years ago, Bo was in that dark place in life. When here this couple that he doesn't know at all, 
says, we want to adopt you. We used to come to our house for supper. And through those five years, they enjoyed going out and eating lunch. He enjoyed being mentored in faith and in a career path. And it's been an amazing journey, so much so that when he wanted individuals to stand beside him in his wedding, he wanted this mentor to stand beside him. Now what have I just described to you? I've described a young man that over the last five years, he's grown in every aspect of his life. He's grown in his faith. He's grown in his relationships with others. He has much more healthy social relationships now than he ever had before. He's grown physically. He achieved what he wanted to in, in his baseball career. He's grown also in his opportunities to provide for his family. He's at PT school. He'll be able to do well. When we speak tonight of integrity, the topic has been given, what did He say? In other words, what did Jesus say about integrity? But we would be doing an injustice if we only studied what Jesus said and we didn't apply it to us. What did Jesus say about integrity and how does it apply to us? I'd like for us to think about this by first defining what is integrity. The first thing that comes to our mind is integrity deals with honesty. And it does, but it's not as narrow as honesty alone. In other words, if all we're going to talk about is honesty, we talk about honesty. We talk about integrity, we've broadened out the discussion. So first, it's the quality of being honest, but notice this, it's also having strong moral principles. Notice this, it's a moral uprightness. So in other words, if we're going to look at integrity, integrity is being honest in every aspect of life. It's doing the right thing if you're in private. It's doing the right thing if you're in public. It's doing the right thing if, if it has to do with, with something at school, something at church, something among friends, something among strangers. It's doing the right thing in behaviors. It is simply and in every way, and that's the emphasis. It has to be in every way. It is a moral uprightness. Now how is that emphasized? Notice the second definition. It's really emphasized in the second definition. It's the state of being whole and undivided. When I was not much older than some of you, I heard a reporter on the news talk about a small plane crashing in the woods. Now I don't know why this stuck out to me, but I have I, I, I always remembered the way the reporter used the word integrity. The camera panned around and showed this plane that was kind of demolished. The wings were ripped off as it went into the woods, but the camera landed on the cockpit that was not torn up. And the reporter said, as you can see, the cockpit has maintained its integrity. What does that mean? The cockpit remained whole, in place, undivided. The question is, when you and I go through school this year, will we remain whole in our integrity? Or will we go to the locker room and be one kind of person and come to the youth group devotional and be another kind of person? Will we stand out in public and be one person and go in private and be another person? 
The idea of integrity is that we are whole. We are complete in our effort to be upright. Now keep in mind, God knows we're not perfect. We're not, we're not talking about to obtain this, there's some kind of perfection. But it is the idea that we don't play the hypocritical role. That we truly are people of integrity. If we were to look in Scripture where probably the word integrity is used in the most intense and strong description, it might be the story of Job. We're not going to develop that because of the assigned topic. That's probably what we would develop if it wasn't for the assigned topic because the assigned topic is not dealing with Jesus. So we're going to deal with Jesus. But I couldn't help but use this in the introduction to just kind of help us understand what is, an in, what is integrity? Do you remember in Job, the first chapter, we learned that Job was the richest man in his land. We also see that Satan begins to attack him. And he literally takes away and destroys all of his possessions. Now imagine that. Going from the wealthiest man of the land to becoming one of the poorest. Because now all of your possessions are gone. But that's not the worst of it. At that very same time, his ten children went to a house. And the house collapsed and killed all ten of them. So now all of his possessions are gone, and he's going to a funeral for all of his children. And Satan and the Lord are having a discussion about Job. And Satan is talking about all that Job has done to him, and then he says, but still, this is the second chapter of Job, about verse 4, 3 or 4. He says, but still, Job has held fast his integrity. Think about that. When you go through your worst struggles, will you still be a person of integrity? When you go through your mountaintop experiences, will you still be a person of integrity? Well, Satan just ramped it up after that. He went out and attacked Job's health. You know, have you ever had like really bad sores on your tongue or your lips and they hurt really bad? He had balls on his body that would be just as painful except they were from the crown of his head all across his body down to the soles of his feet. He went out and sat in ashes and broken pottery was used to scrape the balls. He was in so much pain. And his wife, she too has lost all of her possessions. She too has lost all ten of her children. And now she sees her husband in such a pitiful shape. And you remember what she says? Are you going to hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. You see what she's saying? You're telling me we're going to lose our children and you're still going to do the right thing? We're going to lose all our possessions and you're going to do the right thing? You're telling me you're going to sit in that broken, pitiful health and you're going to do the right thing? What you ought to do right now is curse God and turn against Him. But see, to do that, He would give up His integrity. And what Job was not willing to do in the hardest season of his life was give up that moral uprightness in his life. The beauty of this that we're starting to see as we talk about this is integrity is a choice. You know, like, it's not something that's assigned to us. And it's not something that you can't have. Are you listening? Every person here, if you chose, could go through this entire school year and be a person of integrity. It's 100% up to you. So let's think about this. 
And all I'm trying to do in these next few slides is help you see how broad integrity is, okay? When you go shopping, do you always pay for everything you bring home or do you lift some things? When you strongly disagree with someone, do you use your words to manipulate them, to verbally attack them? Or do you use your words in kindness and peacefulness? From youngest to oldest, we spend a lot of screen time. Would your history on your devices show that you are a person of integrity? You know, a big part of integrity is also self-control. When you say, I'm just, I'm just going to game tonight for one hour, do you have the self-control to really, at the end of an hour, to put it down? Because if you can't control yourself, you can't be a person of integrity. Same way when you're going to watch a show, can you watch one or do you have to binge watch it? But then we could also go back and talk about the gaming and the shows and whether or not just the content of them whether or not it's moral or not. What about your music? Is the content of your music moral? In other words, these things can violate integrity. Is your language that of one who would have, be a person of integrity? But it's not just the negative things in life that we keep out. A true life of integrity is about the things we bring into our life. Are you bringing in God's Word into your life? And do you read it every day? Do you pray every day? Do you keep yourself absorbed in the Word of God? And like Proverbs 1, when Solomon is saying to, to his son, Son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. You know that you're going to have those that come around you in high school that will be urging you from time to time to do the wrong thing. Probably every day. And the question is, can you not consent with them? Can you tell them no? Are you arrogant? Are you humble? Can you forgive someone? Or do you hold grudges? Walter Michel is in his 80s now. But back in 1960, he designed a simple test that he gave to four- and five-year-olds. And it's been studied and referenced without ceasing ever since the 1960s. As a matter of fact, it's been duplicated and replicated over and over and over. And it's a real simple exercise. The idea is that there's a video camera set up in a room. The four-year-old or the five-year-old is taken to the room. They're seated in a chair and they're given simple instructions. A little plate is in front of them, and one marshmallow is put on the plate. And they are told, you could eat the marshmallow now if you'd like, but if you will wait 15 minutes, when I come back, if you've not eaten the marshmallow, you can have two marshmallows. And you know that almost every child says, I want two. And so the one conducting the test says, okay, just don't eat that marshmallow for 15 minutes, and turns and walks out while the camera is still recording. And it is funny to see what little four- and five-year-olds do trying to sit in front of a marshmallow for 15 minutes and not eat it. As a matter of fact, they, you'll see them. They'll go from just sitting there to their hands will start just like playing around the marshmallow. And then after a few more minutes, they'll start touching the marshmallow. 
And then they'll start rolling the marshmallow. And then they'll start poking the marshmallow. And then some of them just can't stand it. And they'll take the marshmallow and start rolling it on their face. And then they'll get the marshmallow really close to their, to their lips. And they'll, they'll open their mouth and, open and put their tongue out. And they'll roll the marshmallow across. And then it's like over. Then they start eating the marshmallow. But you know what's interesting? There are fewer of the four- and five-year-olds that can actually sit there the whole time for 15 minutes alone with a marshmallow and not eat it. These two little boys at the end, they were two of the ones in this particular exercise that made it to the end. You should have seen the little puppy dog man there. Whenever... whenever uh, the one conducting the test came back in after 15 minutes and his marshmallow is still sitting right there in his plate. She set another marshmallow right beside it. And he still, he, he would always keep his hands right beside the two marshmallows, or the one marshmallow and then the two. And he's just drumming his fingers and he looks up at her. He looks at the marshmallow and he said, can I eat them now? And she says, yes. And he grabs both marshmallows, one in each hand, and he just whole marshmallows. He's the happiest guy. But... What Mitchell says is that these children, because what he does is he continually studies these same children over the next several years. He, he studies them into their adulthood. And, and he says that they're going to have probably less behavioral issues at home and at school. They're also going to maintain friendships and have less stress if they can simply learn to manage and control their life. Now, he also, through this, has disturbed a lot of parents. And, and because a lot of parents say, well, I know my five-year-old would eat it. But, but here's what he tries to say to parents. He's not trying to say that the destiny of your five-year-old is based on whether or not they do or do not eat the marshmallow. But what he is saying to everyone is if you do not learn to control yourself, your life will be on an altered path that's not good. The second thing he's saying through this study, because he does a lot of writing on it, is even a child can be taught to control themselves. Tonight, as we study integrity, I want to make that simple plea to you that if some way society has convinced you or you've convinced yourself, well, I just can't help it. I just want to tenderly but yet boldly say to you, that's a lie. You get to decide how you're going to live this year at school. You get to decide who you're going to be. Nobody can make you be an ungodly person. And so it's pretty awesome to think that that power is within us because the power of God will bless us. Proverbs 25 and 28 says, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. In ancient times, if a wall was, if a city was not fortified, the enemies would come at any given time and take over. And so, in a sense, you are already defeated, is what that's saying. It's just, it's just a matter of time. Whenever the enemy comes, you, you have no defense. 
Do you realize that if you can't control your own life, the proverb writer is saying, you're like that city. Here's how 1 Peter 2 describes our Lord Jesus, and this is where we'll start taking this and, and close with, with a study of Jesus. Jesus, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. Now, you know what revile is? It's, it's when someone harshly, strongly criticizes you. It's like abusive criticism. And so Jesus, in his crucifixion, was strongly reviled. But he didn't revile back in return. And notice as we keep on. When he suffered, he did not threaten. So what did he do? But committed himself to him who judges righteously. In other words, what they were doing to Jesus, Jesus did not do back to them because Jesus had already made a commitment to him. Did you catch that? Our temptation and what the world does, and we have to decide if we're going to be different from the world, is that they walk around like a mirror. What does a mirror do? It reflects what's in front of them. And so, you be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You be mean to me, I'll be mean to you. And that's how most people live their life. If you don't believe it, you go and, and, and you check out with a rude cashier. And a lot of time that person, that customer, will be rude back to them. You're rude to me, I'll be rude to you. Go in the very next store, and the next door the cashier is happy and says, hey, how you doing today? And that person is right back nice to them. And you see what's happened? That person is powerless. In other words, it's, hey, I just reflect you. You can push any button. I have no control in my life. A person of integrity, the Lord controls their life. And so we don't reflect the people in front of us. We're controlled by God, and we allow God to shape us to interact with the people in front of us. And so we interact with others not based upon who they are or what they've done. We interact with them based upon who our God is. And that's how we start reaching that path of integrity. Now, we already saw the, the definition there, but just in case you need a warm-up and reminder, keep in mind it does deal with honesty, but it's also a lot broader in moral principles and uprightness, but it's also about being whole and complete and undivided. And so what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to spend this last part of the time here looking at a story of Jesus. We'll have the passages on the screen, but if you want to open your Bible, we're going to look at a paragraph out of Matthew, the 22nd chapter. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, we see a powerful reading of, of Jesus here. When, if you want to just kind of place this in context, uh, this is the week that Jesus is going to be crucified. This was probably Wednesday of the week that Jesus is going to be crucified and then resurrected on the following Sunday. Just a reminder of what happened. He had already come in just a couple of days before into Jerusalem, and they hailed him King of the Jews, and he's the Messiah. And so he's being perceived as one with great authority. The following day, he goes into the temple. Remember, the money exchangers were there, and he, he takes a whip and he runs them out of the temple. And he cleanses the temple. So now he's not just perceived with power, he's proven he has power. But the religious leaders, the Pharisees and such like, they were very envious of Jesus. They didn't like him having that power, and they didn't like people beginning to follow him. And so they're going to try to trap Jesus. So here's how it goes. 
Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle or entrap Jesus in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples. In other words, the leaders of the Pharisees didn't go because what they're going to try to do is act like, hey, we really like you. But then they're going to entrap him. And notice they went along with the Herodians, which those two didn't go together, the Pharisees and the Herodians. But they're going together when they're trying to entrap Jesus. And so one is more of a political party representation, and one is more of a religious party representation. And so now they're joining together because what they're going to try to trip Jesus up on is to speak against Roman power. And so since the Herodians had a political leaning, they wanted the Pharisees, wanted the Herodians there so that they could be witnesses, so they could run back to Herod, who's been appointed by the Roman emperor, say, Jesus Christ, he's against Rome. So that Herod could then turn to the emperor and say, Jesus Christ is against Rome. And that way, Rome would crucify Jesus and the Jews wouldn't have to. And so that's probably the logic that's going on in all this. But now notice what they said. So in other words, these disciples are coming thinking, we're going to act like we like Jesus so we can trip him up. And what they say is probably some of the most truthful words about Jesus in Scripture. Notice what they say. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Now those last two lines... You know, you may think, now wait a minute, Jesus does care about people. That's not exactly what that's meant. Let me read this to you out of another translation. Notice how this same verse is said here. They said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others. Because you pay no attention to who they are. Young people, what's our lesson tonight? Learning from Jesus about integrity. Integrity will always be defined by following the truth of God's Word. You do not have a moral compass in you that you, without God and without God's Word, could live a life of integrity. There's a way, Proverbs 14 and 12, there's a way that seems right to a person. But the end thereof is the path or the way of death. The only way you and I will truly know the truth is when we look into it, learn it, and live it. They looked at Jesus and they gave Him a great compliment. They said, when we look at you, you're a man of integrity. What do you mean by that? You always teach what God says. You always teach the truth, and that's how you live. What a compliment. But notice their follow-up to that. Their follow-up is, when you live that life of integrity, you don't allow other people to sway you. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard to go in the locker room and not let somebody else sway you. It's hard to be at the popular table at lunch and not let somebody sway you. It's hard to be with your crew that you all ride together to school every day and not let them sway you. 
my children, the year that they were entering high school, of course, I didn't have triplets, so it was all different years, but I would, I would make sure that we had this talk about how different your friendships will have to be sometime throughout your high school. So what do you mean by that? You know, when you have friends from kindergarten up to eighth and ninth grade, you think you know them pretty well. But you know what will always happen during high school? There'll be a few of your friends that you think you know really well that decide to go into a different path. And it's better for you to decide now, are you going to let that friend that goes an entirely different path? Up to this time, you always walk the same path. And you may be sitting on the pew beside each other right now. But sometime in high school, one or two or three or four of your friends that you never saw it coming, they're going to go a different path. And you're going to be in that position right there. Are you going to be swayed? Wow, I didn't think you guys would do that Friday night. And we've always run around every Friday night together. What am I going to do? And you have to choose. Am I going to follow the Lord in truth and integrity? Or am I going to be swayed? But these are my best buddies. I, I, can't, I can't turn my back on my best buddies. But at that moment, are you going to turn your back on your Lord and Savior? And that's what integrity is all about. And listen, it doesn't stop there. You get my age, you'll find yourself in the same situation. There won't be a time in your life where you won't have to make decisions about whether or not you're going to honor the Lord and be a person of integrity or if you're going to be swayed. Now, that's the lesson. I'll show you the next couple of verses and we'll close out. So their question that they were trying to trick Jesus on was whether or not it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. And so what, and notice Jesus called them hypocrites because they were not people of integrity. But notice what Jesus said. He said, show me one of your coins. And of course, when they gave him a coin there in 21, he said to them, you know, who, back in 20, whose image and whose inscription's on it? They answered in 21, said Caesar. And so he said, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went on their way. What's the point? Do you see that even there, Jesus was dealing in integrity? It amazes me today, the individuals that will say, I don't think a Christian ought to really pay taxes. You just want to throw up your hands and say, have you ever read this book? Like, Jesus was directly asked about it. And he says, sure, we're going to be people of integrity. We're going to be good citizens. And then when Paul elaborates on it in Romans 13, he makes it very clear again. In other words, integrity is not just about the things we don't do. Integrity is also about the things we do. With our resources, are we going to be good citizens? And when the plate is passed on Sunday, notice, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Did you have a summer job? Did you get paid on Friday? Over the summer, did you give back to God on Sunday? 
and not your dollar that you normally throw in. If you made $100, you don't need to give a dollar to the Lord. Maybe I'll flip that around and keep the dollar and give the Lord $99 and see how it feels. Integrity, integrity is saying, Lord, everything that you made me to be and everything that you have given me, I will deal with it in integrity. And so what I owe in taxes, I'll pay in taxes. And what you've generously given to me, I won't rob you. I'll give back to you too. But where does it start? Integrity is always going to start by following the Word of God. And it's always going to be the temptation to leave the Lord and to be swayed. But the answer is always to say, no, I want to stand with the Lord and all that I am and all that He's given me, I will honor Him. Isn't it wonderful that that's a choice we get to make? Your friend doesn't get to make that choice for you. Your parents don't even get to make that choice for you. Your youth minister, your elders, nobody. That's a choice you get to make. Are you going to be a man or a woman of integrity? How blessed we are when we can be like our Lord and we can be described as such people of integrity. Let's close this time by extending an invitation. In other words, anytime we gather together, we need to make sure that we give individuals the opportunity to respond to the Lord. And tonight, if you're ready to become a Christian, what a wonderful thing to do knowing that that's what the truth of God's Word teaches. That would be a way to begin that life of integrity. If you're a believer and you're willing to turn away from sin and turn to God, repentance, why not tonight come? Don't be ashamed of the Lord. Confess before men that He's the Son of God and be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins. How beautiful is that? Your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Maybe you've already become a Christian and yet sin is separating you from God. Isn't it wonderful to know that you can go home tonight, put your head on the pillow, and know that your life and your soul is right with God? Maybe tonight you're ready to repent and confess sin, and let's pray forgiveness. You realize even the invitation, it's about what? It's about integrity. It's about whether or not you and I are willing to do the right thing to uphold uprightness. And so as we are about to sing, I want you to think about are you a person of integrity? By the grace of God, it's your choice. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing. Just as I am without one plea, but that